Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, big shifts in the federal health world. The CDC says it's undergoing a reset, in part because of missteps in its handling of COVID-19, says Director Rochelle Walensky. We made some pretty public mistakes and we need to own them. We get your thoughts on the CDC. And Dr. Anthony Fauci has announced he's stepping down at the end of the year as chief medical advisor to President Biden and head of NIAID after four decades. We reflect on Fauci's tenure. That's all next on Forum, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. CDC Chief Rochelle Walensky has announced plans to overhaul the agency, telling staff in an internal video last week that it's responsible for some pretty dramatic, pretty public mistakes in its handling of COVID-19, from testing to data to communicating with the public. What this pandemic taught us and showed us is that now we need to talk to the American people. We need to say what we know, when we know it, provide timely data, and give people updates along the way. And yes, that also means telling people what we don't know as we're making decisions. We want to hear from you. Did your faith in the CDC take a hit? How can the agency restore trust? You can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by giving us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Joining me now is Dr. Bob Wachter, professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Wachter, glad to have you back. Thank you. Great to be here. So as a department chair responsible for coordinating UCSF's COVID response and messaging, you certainly had to work within CDC guidance. I'm wondering, well, first, what your reaction is to this announcement from Michelle Walensky that the organization will go through a reset? I think it's impressive uh, when an organization takes a deep look at itself and and finds uh, finds flaws. It's, you know, as we look at the flaws, it's easy to concentrate on them. It's also worth recognizing that this is pretty unusual to hear a big federal agency take that kind of a look at itself and, and, and a pretty, pretty clear eyed view of the things that they got wrong. They got a bunch wrong. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's an impressive thing to do. And, uh, you know, the devil will be in the details in terms of whether they're able to do it. There's a lot of change that they've called for. Yeah, and it's a massive organization. I'm wondering when you say impressive, if you are staying away from the word realistic. <laughs> yeah, probably both. I mean, I, 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 I but I, I, just before we get into some of the flaws, because they're yeah. very real and worth yes. talking about, it is, I'm trying to recall another large federal agency that's done this kind of a, um, what we in medicine would call a root cause analysis, um, or in the military, they'd call a post-action review of itself in a public way and uh, and been sort of forthcoming about the things that they found without 
I don't think very much sugarcoating. So I, I, just, I think it's worth reflecting on that. I think it's a very healthy thing for it to do. If they'd come out and said, uh, we perform perfectly, then I wouldn't believe it because they didn't. Uh, they came out and said, we blew it in a lot of different ways. They got a, a fair number of things right, but they made a lot of mistakes. And I think it's very important for any organization to learn from that. So what were CDC's most serious mistakes in your view? Well, I, you know, they, they got things wrong from the beginning, and some of that was related to the prior administration and the politicization of, of, of it. But I think in some ways we've learned over the past few years that wasn't all of it. I think it was easy to attribute it to Trump and, and, uh, and, and meddling in the affairs of the CDC. That clearly got in the way, but there's, been, there's more to it than that. What did they get wrong? I mean, they they insisted on owning testing in the beginning, yes. that nobody else could develop a test, and the tests that they developed, they botched. And so that slowed down the initial response. We were flying blind for uh, an extra month or two because of that. They got that wrong. Uh, the mask guidance early on was 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 wrong and 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 uh, and probably wrong in a way that should they should have anticipated. Um, they didn't really fully appreciate the role of aerosol spread. Uh, some of their public proclamations were wrong and they stuck to them too long. For example, you remember when after vaccination, they kept saying breakthrough uh, infections, uh, meaning infections in people who've been vaccinated are quote rare. And I kept saying, what do you mean rare? It's that means that's like, don't believe your eyes. They're happening all over the place. And it took them a while to come to that. Uh, their isolation guidelines, the five days and you're, and you're out. I think is just scientifically wrong. It may have been a pragmatic response, but they should have explained it in a way that made it clear. So I think overall, uh, they got some things wrong technically, but their communication uh, was not, uh, you know, th this, this, this is the Olympics of scientific communication. Had to be really good, had to be nuanced, had to be understandable, had to change quickly. And I think if you looked at their communication over the last couple of years, you'd probably give it a CC plus. Yes, communication was a big thing that they highlighted. And it's been interesting to see that over the course of the pandemic, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, went from an average, say, of 55% of Americans saying they trust the organization in August of 2020 to less than 45% in January of this year. That's according to an NBC News poll. And so much of the importance of communication is it being consistent and it making sense, like you, you were mentioning the don't believe your eyes situations where the truth or the facts on the ground felt like they were in opposition to what the CDC was stating. So much of that is about trust. Can you talk about the importance of the American public trusting an agency like the CDC? Yeah, it's everything in public health. You're asking it. People are scared. People, you know, there's a there's a foe out there, a new virus that people don't understand. I think most people, regular folks, have given very little thought in their life to pandemics and how they work and how viruses spread. And so, very quick, and and there's there's a tremendous lack of information uh, because we don't know this is a novel virus. And so, very quickly, you have to gain the trust of the public. They have to believe you. When, when you say you need to restrict your activities or you need to wear a mask or you need to vaccinate or whatever it is and, um, and, and, and give you a little bit of slack when you say, and here's what we told you last month 
And we're going to tell you something different now because we've learned, because the science has emerged and here's some new information. If they don't trust you, of course, every time you pivot because of new scientific information, they will assume that you either didn't, you lied to them the first time or are incompetent or, and so trust is everything. Now, uh, you have to, we have to account for the fact that most Americans probably barely knew what the CDC did at the beginning. And so trust can be high because it's not a, not a huge part of your life. And, and responding to this kind of a pandemic in a world that's so politicized, in a world with social media and all sorts of news outlets that are, are going to jump on everything that you got wrong, I think it's very hard to retain trust. And so, you know, we sort of have to cut them a little bit of slack, but not too much. I mean, I think there are things they they got wrong, and some of the wounds that they uh, they suffered really, really were self inflicted. Now, some of the other findings from the report, I think, get at that. The data that they had, which of course is crucial to make decisions, um, was slow in coming, often yeah. flawed. Their ability to get data from from public from from local and regional sites is quite limited. It was really striking to me in the early days of the pandemic, how much of what we were learning about, did vaccines work? Was there a new variant? All those sort of things. We were learning from the UK. We were learning from Israel. We're learning from places that have much less uh, investment in their public health infrastructure, but had their acts together uh, more than the CDC did. Well, let me go to caller Karen in Ventura. Hi, Karen. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm, I'm interested. It's nice to see the CDC is doing an internal audit. Um, and I just was thinking, you know, if I may, without being rude, suggest that the media do the same thing. I listen to NPR all day long, and every hour is a different show, of course. And it starts off, and um, they have one expert on talking about COVID, and then the next hour, it's somebody from CDC in the next hour. It's somebody from the Boston Medical Center in the next hour. It's from somebody from University of Michigan. And, mm. and it's very confusing. And I just wondered, you know, maybe NPR headquarters could maybe have a meeting <laughs> and say... Do our, um, do our own internal audit. We're only going to have one source of information. We're going to have the CDC or that's it. Or we're going to have Boston Medical Center. That's it. Well, yeah. By the time I would go to bed at night, I had nine different opinions. Well, Karen, thank you for sharing that. And I certainly empathize with just the confusion and the incredible fire hose of information and everyone trying to get what information they can out to the public. Um, But it also being just very hard to dissect. A lot of us individuals sort of had to become our our own mini public health officials, assessing for ourselves risk and so on, which I guess, you know, uh, is another big part of how these kinds of situations can feel like that. I mean, I remember, Dr. Walker, when when President Biden and Kamala Harris were saying, you can remove the masks if you are vaccinated, and then having public health officials on, um, I don't know if you were one of them at the time, but just kind of trying to work through that messaging when they themselves were saying, well, I'm not going to take my mask off uh, because I'm vaccinated indoors, right? And I'm probably not going to recommend that my kids do it. And so there was, there must have been a lot of that. I am curious if there was one of the harder moments to navigate around something you disagreed with in terms of CDC guidance that stands out to you. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, it, it, the, the point is right. You know, there were a lot of talking heads. I was one of them. And, you know, we're all human beings processing imperfect data that's coming in in real time and changing. And so the it, I can empathize. The public was hearing lots of different messages. I mean, if you look at expert from UCSF, one institution, not all of us were on the same page all the time. It's it's natural when there's uh, there, there's there's a lot of nuance to it and things change. Um, yeah, I, I, and and uh, thinking about you know that the wonderful summer, you know, the, the sort of mission accomplished moment that Biden had in uh, right before last summer. You know, at some level, you can look back and critique that, and in retrospect, it was a it was a, a, a the wrong thing to do. On the other hand, what changed was the virus change. You know, that's that's you know a new variant came out, and since then we've had this steady drumbeat of new variants that have all changed the the facts on the ground. So, it's you know it's it'd be nice to have a complete consensus. I think had we all gone lockstep with the CDC. That wouldn't have been the right call because the CDC periodically was getting it wrong, and it was the outside experts that were sometimes pushing them to look at things, uh, you know, through a different light. We're talking about the effort to overhaul the CDC after Director Rochelle Walensky acknowledged failures in its handling of the COVID pandemic. We're getting the thoughts of Dr. Bob Wachter, chair of the Department of Medicine at UCSF, and you are listeners. You can share your thoughts by posting on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, calling 866-733-6786, or emailing forum at kqed.org. This listener writes, I lost trust in the CDC when they dropped the need to test negative to come out of COVID quarantines, adjusting public health guidelines to meet public comfort levels is like saying obesity is a problem, but soda is too popular, so let's ignore it. Your thoughts and more after the break. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. We'll talk about the status of talks to free Brittany Griner, the WNBA star and two-time Olympic gold medalist who was sentenced to nine years in prison by a Russian court, and about unlawful detentions by foreign governments with Washington Post journalist Jason Rezaian, who himself was imprisoned in Iran for 544 days until his release in 2016. You can leave an email or voicemail with any questions or thoughts ahead of the show at forum at kqed.org or by calling 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about big shifts in the federal health world, efforts by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to admit mistakes and undergo a reset and restore trust. We're talking with Dr. Bob Wachter, and we're talking with you, our listeners. Let me go to L in El Cerrito. Hi, L. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? I can. Yeah. Um, I'm just calling... Uh, 
I guess my criticism or my thoughts, as somebody who is 19, very new to the world of being an adult and having to worry about the responsibilities of doctor's appointments, dealing with the medical system, there's a lot of things that are taken for granted that I see in older adults that don't make sense to me. And one of those is this blind trust that a lot of people have that systems that everybody agrees should work will actually work for you. As somebody navigating transition, that's definitely been very difficult, medical transition. And in terms of COVID and the CDC, I feel like I I just wish that more general people would acknowledge the politics that goes into the messaging about what what is the federal government going to tell you about the transmissibility? What is the federal government going to do about testing? For example, monkeypox recently became a huge thing. And I had to do a lot of my own legwork to find a vaccine because the government or the CDC, I just, I can't personally rely on the fact that they're going to have my best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. And I wish there was more acknowledgement of the politics in these decisions. Yeah. Well, Elle, I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, the effect that it's having on Elle is sort of what you were describing and we were discussing, Dr. Walker, with regard to the importance of trust in these kinds of institutions. Just on the politics side of this, I do want to ask you one other question. I know you're not a political analyst, <laughs> but um, I do also know that you understand very well uh, how a politicized public health institution can affect the trajectory of a disease. Um, I'm wondering if you think there are political risks associated with Walensky admitting mistakes by the CDC in this polarized environment? Sure. Uh, you know, I think the it, it is important to take a step back and sort of recognize that the polarized environment is part of the challenge here. It's just, it's a fact on the ground we've got to deal with. And so there is part of the public that that is, I think, unduly skeptical of scientific expertise, of authority, of elites, and all those sort of things. And yet, as Al says there, you know, some skepticism is warranted. The CDC absolutely is a scientific organization that has to operate in a political arena. They are making recommendations to people in San Francisco and also to people in Kansas. And the political environments are very different and they have to take that into account. And I think for Dr. Walensky to put this report out, sure, it, 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 there are going to be critics of the CDC who will say, you know, you see, I've been saying for years that the CDC can't be trusted. Now, now they admit that they can't be trusted. And it's a huge job, and it's a huge job for her to see whether she can turn this battleship around. This is a you know organization with over 10,000 employees and a $10 billion a year budget. And, you know, it's, it's not that easy and a very bureaucratic. It's a government organization. It's not that easy to turn those things around. So there are a lot of political risks in, in coming out with this. But I think, you know, it's the right thing to do because I think at the end of the day, there are more political risks in saying, you know, nothing, you know, there's nothing to change here. The CDC did fine. And yet it's lost the trust of much of the American public. Well... <laughs> Yesterday after this big announcement, the Monday after the CDC's announcement, another big change was announced, and that was Dr. Anthony Fauci saying that he'll resign from his post as chief medical advisor to the president. This is after serving seven presidents, as well as his post as head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. 
I think he served there for, for four decades. He served overall in this world of, of government and public health for, for more than half a century. <laughs> what is your reaction to that, uh, Dr. Wachter? How would you categorize, uh, characterize Anthony well, Fauci? Well, certainly, yeah. yeah, certainly the end of an era. Um, you know, Tony's been in his role, as you say, for about 40 years. I remember when I was in medical school, which is about 35 or 40 years ago, uh, that that he was he was legendary already. He was a relatively young young physician scientist. He was one of the world's leaders in in the science of infectious diseases and of autoimmunity. That's when your body your body's immune system attacks itself. He had this very large federal leadership role at a very young age, and I think for most of us he was really really impressive. And he's remained impressive through his entire career. I mean, nobody makes it through that kind of seven, I think seven presidential administrations uh, without being not only really, really good at the science, but really good at the politics and uh, and really good at public communications. And so, you know, end of an era. And my sadness is that he steps down at a time where he's become such a polarizing figure, where I think for, for me and for most of the people in academia and the people who know him, we see him as someone who is incredibly credible, uh, incredibly bright, and has uh, really given his entire life to public service when he could have done a lot of other things, made a lot of money, you know, all sorts of things that he could have done. And this is what he he chose to do. So so sad that he's stepping down in this kind of polarizing environment, but hmm. he deserves a break and he's 81 years old and it probably is time for him to move on and do something different. Well, let me bring in uh, someone else who has covered Dr. Fauci for a really long time as a journalist. This is New Yorker staff writer Michael Spector. He covers science, technology, and public health, and his books include Fauci. Michael Spector, thanks so much for being with us. I'm happy to be here. So, Michael, I'm struck by hearing Dr. Walker say that uh, Dr. Fauci was good at the science and really good at the politics. And you have talked about sort of his, the value that he placed on keeping politics out of public health decision making. Can you talk about how he navigated that or, or maybe what his credo was sure. around that? Well, I mean, there's a couple of types of politics. You don't last through seven presidential administrations if you don't have some political savvy. But I think what you're referring to is, you know, he his view is an immune system is an immune system. It isn't a democratic immune system or a Republican immune system. And so he basically addressed all medical questions and issues like he was a doctor. And he was quite, I mean, I I started writing about him in, when I started writing about AIDS for the Washington Post in 1985, mm. and he's honest. I mean, I can't think of a time when he purposely misled me or colleagues. You know, Tony likes to talk. He'll talk to all the press, and some people find that annoying. I'm part of the press. I'm delighted. He's willing, you know, I, I just think he approached science the way people have approached science for a long time, which is that it's, it, there's no, it's not right or wrong, but it's not a politically leaning discipline. And, you know, to have devolved to a point where people like Tony are attacked because he recommends mask wearing, or that that should even be an issue in this country is I mean, it's it's very distressing, to say the least. 
Yeah, I was so struck uh, by this line in a piece that you wrote about Anthony Fauci, where he talks about getting a piece of advice when he was in the Nixon administration. Um, and it was, when you go into the White House, you should be prepared. That is the last time you will ever go in. Because if you go in saying, I'm going to tell somebody something they want to hear, then you've shot yourself in the foot. Now everybody knows I'm going to tell yeah. them exactly what's the truth. And well, I, as, it, Yeah, go ahead. That wasn't the Nixon administration. It was a guy from the Nixon administration who told him that. He, ah, he started with Reagan. But I, I think Fauci's great value is that he really did tell people the truth and he really was a public servant. You know, the, the guy honestly believes that serving the public is a higher good and has always enjoyed it. And um, it hasn't been easy. I mean, we're talking about COVID. I, I met him at the beginning of AIDS. He was detested, to, I mean, hated viciously by AIDS activists, most of whom I have known quite well throughout my life. And for those few of them who are alive today, they all love Tony now. And the worst of his critics loved him before they died because Fauci was confronted with a series of facts and data. He processed the data and he realized that he representing his government was wrong about a lot of things. And he came out and said so. And that's what, you know, that's, I'm glad, you know, CDC is doing something like that now. I, I, I personally think it's been a disaster and it, it's way too late. And, you know, when I covered AIDS, the CDC was really a reputable organization and they still have wonderful people working there, but it's very hard to get like 11 different messages, some of which you know are foolish. I mean, it is true that the facts aren't always clear, but I don't know any virologist or molecular biologist who will tell you that a vaccination is magic. A vaccination is really great when it works and the COVID vaccinations work. They keep you from getting really sick and dying. They don't necessarily keep you from getting infectious. And people know that and it was a terrible mistake for, for the CDC to say anything else. You could sell that as a great thing. I mean, if we had an HIV vaccine, which we still don't, that could make sure you wouldn't get sick and die, that would be great. You know, we'd love to have something that makes it go away completely, but our goal is to keep people healthy. Yeah. Well, we are reflecting listeners on the tenure of Dr. Anthony Fauci and also on the work of the CDC with regards to this pandemic. And you are welcome to share whether you were confused at times by CDC guidance and wish you had understood better what was going on with COVID if if you feel like there were areas that the CDC could have been better, as Michael Spector clearly does. We also welcome your reflections on Fauci's tenure during the COVID pandemic or before how he shaped your understanding of public health. Anthony tweets, for example, the United States president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, PEPFAR, has to be Dr. Yeah. Fauci's greatest and most impactful accomplishment. Do you want to say a few words about that, Michael? Yeah, I'd actually agree with him, and I know that that Fauci would too. I mean, that program alone has saved 21 million lives in Africa. And it, it was something that the first President Bush had suggested to Fauci, and 
simply because he was amazed at how many people were dying and how we had in America, we had treatment and they had nothing there. And and Fauci really threw himself into this. And I, I do think it's his greatest accomplishment. And um, I, you know, whoever tweeted that, I'm glad they brought it up. Well, another listener tweets, I admire how Dr. Fauci was able to do his job despite Trump's interference. I do wish that the fact COVID can't be transmitted through surfaces was communicated better and sooner. Parks and playgrounds should have been open sooner. More of a local interpretation of the guidance, though. That's, again, this listener. So, Michael Spector, do you want to ask you about that? Um, Because you also, of course, covered him uh, while he was uh, the while he was president. Trump's medical advisor, and you reported back uh, that largely the former president initially listened to Dr. Fauci. At what point did that relationship start to break down? Very rapidly. Um, Trump was not someone who wanted to listen to other people. But at the beginning, I think he was a little afraid of what could happen. And then he decided that Fauci, I, I don't want to get into it blaming Trump for everything, though I do. But um, at some point, Fauci's job was to get up in front of the American people and tell them what he thought was actually justified by data without basically starting every sentence with the words, no, Mr. President, you're wrong. Because the things that Trump said about drugs like hydroxychloroquine, which were miracle cures, which in fact not only don't work, but could harm people, were scandalous. And, you know, I think Fauci's view was, I can quit in a huff, and then I'm not there to correct him. And so he took it. But I don't think the relationship was good very early. And and in this audio book that I did for Pushkin on Fauci, it was very clear. I mean, Fauci told me right out of the gate that He'd never seen anything like a presidential administration trying to do opposition research on their leading infectious disease expert. It's unheard of. It's it's ridiculous. And and the, the people who suffered the most were the American people who weren't get, getting the kind of attention, financial and otherwise, that they really needed to get through this pandemic. You know, on things like, should they have been quicker about saying, well, it's not that big a problem to touch mail? You don't know things at first. I mean, I at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic, we didn't know what caused it. And it was it's very difficult to rule things out when you don't know for sure that it's not a problem. Um, and I think the public health conundrum is if you do your job well, then nobody knows about it, and they're healthy, and they go on. But if you make a mistake, everyone blames you. And even if you sort of say something before, you should. So it's very difficult. And I think they did, you know, there were mistakes made, of course, but I think they did a reasonable job, including people at CDC. It's just there wasn't any coordination and any focus. Yeah, and... Well, despite Fauci's efforts to remain apolitical, he has become political target number one in a way. Just yesterday, House Majority Leader California's Kevin McCarthy tweeted on the news of Dr. Fauci announcing that he'd retire at the end of the year. 
Dr. Fauci lost the trust of the American people when his guidance unnecessarily kept schools closed and businesses shut while obscuring questions about his knowledge on the origins of COVID. He owes the American people answers. A House GOP majority will hold him accountable. That's, of course, he's talking about if if they take the House in the midterms. There are similar comments like that uh, about him being investigated and so on. How do you think about this, that his decisions, while made apolitically, have, have responded, have re- had these reactions? Yeah. I think it's repulsive. I mean, this is a guy who spent, I think, 57 years serving the public as best he can, and he's done a damn good job. The actual doubts that Republicans have about whether um, we should have kept businesses closed or not, those are political decisions, and they're difficult decisions to make. But I don't think any public health official would suggest that Fauci was playing around with those facts. And as to the origin of this pandemic, it is a complicated, too complicated for a quick little soundbite. All evidence suggests that it was not a lab leak. It was a natural thing in a food market in Wuhan. And we've seen this many times before. It doesn't mean that it couldn't have been a lab leak. The funding of research there is a completely different issue. And I'm writing about that now because, you know, I, I, I think it's difficult. Some of the research that we push doesn't need to happen. And we need to start, you know, biology is a place like journalism where you're just supposed to put everything out there. If I, if I wanted to publish the sequence of every horrible virus on earth, I could, because they're all on the internet. They're all easily accessible. And for a long time, that didn't mean much because very few people could do things with it. But that's changing. Yeah. Well, we, that sounds like we, a whole nother. Sorry, Michael, we're about to hit a break, but that does sound like a whole nother show. We'll have more on Fauci and the CDC. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. I don't see myself being in this job to the point where I can't do anything else after that. So that's the reason. It has nothing to do with pressures, nothing to do with all the other nonsense that you hear about, all the bobs and the slings and the arrows. That has no influence on me. That's Dr. Anthony Fauci, and that was in an interview probably about a month ago. 
Yesterday, Dr. Fauci announced that he's stepping down as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and as chief medical advisor to President Biden. He served some seven presidents. We're talking about that with Michael Spector, a staff writer at The New Yorker, and Dr. Bob Wachter, a professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at UCSF. And of course, you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts on Fauci and your thoughts on the CDC, as both of them were front and center during the COVID pandemic. Let me go to Domingo in Torrance. Hi, Domingo. Hi. Um, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, just a quick question. Uh, it's my understanding that the CDC and the county health departments make recommendations uh, to our elected officials for pandemic rules, right? And I think that there was a big disconnect between what the medical community uh, was saying and their advice and the pandemic, and the pandemic rules that were implemented by uh, the CDC and also our um, health departments. For instance, uh, in California, public schools were able to remain open while public schools were closed. Uh, when the mask mandate, mandate was sort of lifted, you could walk into a, a restaurant with a mask. However, you were able to sit down and eat, right? I think that the nonsensical pandemic rules and the action by our, our politicians, for instance, for instance, Governor Newsom being able to go to the Super Bowl without a mask or go out to eat without a mask, right? I think their actions with nonsensical rules, I think what it does, it offends people, it offends me at least, and also undermines the real medical advice. So my question is, in California, is there a mechanism for the medical community to step in once there's rules that make no logical sense to me at least are implemented to modify them? Because you mean I if a if a politician is implementing the medical advice in a way that they they think is wrong, does the do do the medical advisors have a way of stepping in? Is that what you're asking, Domingo? Well, well two questions. That, that's part of my question. My other question is: Does a doctor think that um, rules, pandemic rules that make no logical sense, hurt or help the cost of medicine? Because I don't think they ah. do. I think it, it makes people. Um, you know, turn a blind eye or say, well, you know, see, they're not wearing a mask. Why should I wear a mask? You know, it, it, it isn't really that important. Yeah. That's, Domingo, that's thanks. Point. Dr. Walter, what do you think of, of what Domingo is saying and asking? Well, there's a lot embedded in there. One is the disconnect between the CDC really making recommendations, but the federal government not really having control over local and statewide policies when it relates to things like masks and and uh, and and issues with the school. And that, of course, the CDC tended to get blamed for everything, but each state was making its own call. Uh, the, you know, just to reflect on how unbelievably difficult it was for the states and, and counties to make these calls in the face of changing science, in the face of an evolving risk and different risks for different people at different times. I personally think California mostly got it right. Uh, but uh, reasonable people will look at it in retrospect and 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 disagree with that. It is very very tricky to figure out you know what is one set of rules that makes sense. And I think one of the things we've learned is that you know this country has a pretty strong libertarian streak, and if public health officials restrict people's ability to do what they want to do, there is going to be pushback more in certain places than others. Uh, but we have to be prepared for that. Uh, that seems like a feature of our. Our, of our politics going forward. Well, a couple of other reflections. The listener writes, the fact that the previous administration altered and edited 
CDC scientific reports on COVID to make the former president's re-election chances better was a major factor in people losing trust in the agency. Catherine writes, as the COVID compliance officer for my place of work, and then later as I started my own COVID compliance business, I had to constantly mitigate the confusion of the changing tides of CDC guidance. It was more appropriate to observe the more conservative local public health guidance and work with each client to develop protocols that were consistent and clear. And Carlos writes, mask guidance in the beginning could have more accurately insisted on its importance. However, let's not forget that the public just had made an irrational run on all the toilet paper. Had the CDC recommended N95 masks in the beginning, the hospitals would have suffered even greater shortages to their detriment. Interesting that Carlos raises this and also raises this in the context of the CDC and masks, because Dr. Walter, I, I also do think that that Dr. Fauci very much became the the face of um, mistaken mask guidance initially. I am really curious what you think in terms of the mask misstep um, being consequential from both a medical standpoint and, and a political one, I guess. Yeah, I think one of the things we've learned is, is <coughs> not to be clear about the science and if there are some very practical things going on that are underlying a recommendation, you should make those clear as well. So the masks are one example. The five-day isolation guidance is another example. The masks, I don't think Tony or others or the CDC uh, uh, believed that masks didn't work. I think they were concerned about the uh, concern that you were that was just raised by the listener, that if they said, you know, yes, you need to wear a mask, there'd be a run on masks, and I wouldn't have one as a doctor going into the hospital taking care of patients, which obviously would have been a problem. Uh, they should have said that. They should have said that we think masks work, but we need to preserve masks for, uh, for healthcare workers and first responders. The same thing with the five-day guidance. It's not unreasonable to have said, you know, the consequences of keeping people in isolation for 10 days or 12 days or however long it is to test negative are, are problematic in terms of businesses and schools. But instead, what they said is you're no longer infectious after five days. That's just wrong. We know yeah. that if you're if you're rapid yeah. test positive, you're still infectious. So it's tricky stuff. But, yeah, I think clearly the mask uh, guidance was wrong and got things off to the wrong start. And for people that wanted to attack the government and to attack Fauci, it became a pretty easy foil. Well, Patricia writes, as a nurse, I lost confidence in the CDC when very early in the pandemic, they stated that masks were not necessary. This was in light of an early Lancet study that had shown that the virus was likely an aerosol. Presumably, this recommendation was due to a shortage of N95 masks. Nonetheless, the CDC should have been forthcoming with the available concerns and at least recommended cloth masks, which would have offered some precaution. That's Patricia's view. Here's Beth's view on Fauci. Beth writes, have admired Dr. Anthony Fauci for many years, but like many scientists, government bureaucrats, he could come off as too academic and unable to provide information that was very clear, very simple, very straightforward, and not framed for scientists. What do you think of Beth's reflection there, Michael? I... I mean, if she feels that way, she feels that way. I think one of his strengths was his ability to take complicated issues and make them extremely clear to people who don't think about those issues or know how to read scientific journals. I actually think that's one of the, the significant assets that Fauci brought to that job. And he never stopped trying to explain. And I think that's important. You know, the mask thing at the beginning, I, I think there's a bigger issue here and people 
need to understand, and I think both the press and the medical profession have fallen short on this. Medicine isn't a static science. It doesn't, it isn't like there's a truth. You tell the truth and everything will be all right. You know, there's the truth and then it turns out it's wrong. When I was a kid, my mother gave me margarine because butter was bad, but it turns out actually margarine is much worse than butter. But she wasn't trying to kill me. That's what the data said at the time. You know, these things change and you have to understand that what you're getting is the best information that is available, not the final answer. Well, let me go to caller Linda in Palo Alto. Hi, Linda. Hi there. Well, it just shows you that no good deed goes un, unpunished. Uh, right from the get-go, Fauci said, mask, 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 until we get a vaccine. Remember that? And then uh, half the country said, no, we don't really need to mask. We will not, in fact, mask. And then there was the vaccine, and he said, Fauci said, mask, mask, mask. So nowhere did he say it's not important. I don't remember that. And I've got a poor memory, but I've got to say from the get-go, I heard mask, mask, mask. It isn't his fault that the government didn't spend the money to send all the medical facilities masks. Well, Masking and cutting off the spread was big. And the other incidental about children and now this so-called investigation. When children go to school, that's not in isolation. They meet up with bus drivers that take them there. They meet up with teachers. The bus drivers, the teachers, the administration, the cleanup crew, they all have families. And a lot of these people don't have a lot of pay. And so they can't afford home care and maids and everything else to make sure that they are in isolation. And so when they don't get paid because they are sick, that's a big deal. But we forget it's not just children going off to school or not going to school. Yes. You, thank you, Linda, for your points. Um, I, I do think once it became clear that it was airborne, one of the things that Fauci did was be unrelenting in instructing Americans to mask, get vaccinated, and then get boosted as well. So maybe that's what Linda is remembering there, which then, of course, also made him a target uh, of people who did not want those kinds of restrictions uh, to, I don't know, to their lives, I guess, essentially. <laughs> Go ahead, Michael. I think you I want think, to get in here. I do. I just think it's worth pointing out that today, more than two years after the beginning of the pandemic, more than 400 people a day are still dying. 40,000 are in hospitals and 100,000 are getting sick every day. And I go into Walmarts, I live in Hudson, New York, and most of the people aren't wearing masks and I don't understand it. But somehow it has been internalized that this isn't a problem anymore. But if you go to a hospital, you'll see that it is. And once again, the vaccinations rate is very poor. Um, it should be much better. And it's been really effective. It's not, you know, these are not magic bullets, but if you are vaccinated and boosted, unless you have some other comorbidity, you're very likely to be in an intensive care unit or die. Michael Spector is a staff writer for The New Yorker. His books, besides Fauci, also include Denialism, How Irrational Thinking Hinders Scientific Progress, Harms the Planet, and Threatens Our Lives. Spector is also an adjunct professor of bioengineering at Stanford. Dr. Bob Wachter is with us, professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And we are talking about 
the CDC admitting mistakes, probably coming out with something more concrete with regard to the kinds of changes that it's going to make. But in the meantime, there have been outlines on the things that it is trying to pursue with regard to uh, better communication, better incentives related to action and acting in the face of limited information, better timeliness in revealing important data to inform decisions that health officials are making, to name a few. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me read a few more comments. T writes, given the meddling and bullying of the CDC by Trump, I was happy to get other opinions, national and international, about what was actually going on with COVID. Thank you, NPR. Oh, the fact that even with over 500,000 dead Americans from COVID, Trump still got 74 million votes at that time. I now don't trust the American people to care about their own lives, let alone my own. Another listener writes, I'm glad... Fauci is stepping down. As a basketball player, Fauci knows that the CDC needs a deep bench. We need young, smart people filling that bench and as and as people are promoted. Of course, Fauci is head of the National uh, Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, though there were definitely overlaps in the sense that both <clears throat> the CDC represented the, the public health side and Fauci was trying to do messaging um, out of the White House. I do want to ask you about this timing for stepping down, Dr. Walker. One of the things that Anthony Fauci said was that we are approaching a time when, what's the right way to put it? The nation is, a, is reaching a moment of equilibrium at which it can live with the virus. And that is as a result of vaccines that Fauci played a big role in getting treatments and increasing immunity. Are we approaching that moment of equilibrium? Yeah, I, I I think so, and I I'd sort of frame it, sort of. I think part of Fauci's decision was it would have been nice for him to step down at that magical moment that COVID was declared over, and it became clear over the last year that that's not going to happen. That that we will be living with this for the foreseeable future. The equilibrium, as Michael says, is not a wonderful one. There's still a fair number of deaths. And, and you know, right now at my hospital, there are 40 patients with COVID. It's not overwhelming, but it's real. Uh, but it, it's, I can't think of a scenario where COVID goes away over the next several years. There's going to be COVID. There will be, there'll be mini surges. There will be lulls. We're probably entering a lull now. The vaccines may get a little bit better. Then immunity will wear off. There, you know, The only thing that could make it materially different is probably on the bad side if there's a really nastier variant. Other than that, yeah, it's probably we're at a place where we're all learning to live with it and learning how we live our lives and what the public policy is, what kind of investments we make into it. And I think because of that, Fauci didn't see any material change in the state of COVID over the next several years, which I think liberated him to just make the choice about his future based on his own personal feelings. Yeah. And Michael Spector, I am struck uh, by the listener thinking that, or I don't know if the listener thought that, but the suggestion was that Fauci actually was head of the CDC. What connect, do you draw connections between shortcomings in our COVID response as attributed to the CDC versus Fauci? Um, are well, there overlaps I mean, or, yeah. Sure. I mean, even in the days of AIDS, the CDC, which I think did an excellent job at the time, they're the public health agency that was in the lead there. Fauci runs a small institute at NIH, and it's a very specific one. He stepped right. into the AIDS crisis because he's articulate. He was doing research on it. People asked him questions, and he was good at answering them. And that just kept going. 
So he is seen as the voice of public health in this country, even though he's not really a public health official, technically. And I think that's, it's not, it's neither here nor there because he's good at, at doing this, but he, he's actually a very important researcher and there's a part of his life I'm quite certain he would have been happy to just continue doing that. He never gave up his lab. He'd been offered the job of head of NIH several times, but it would have meant giving up his lab. And uh, he never he never took it. Well, an interim successor, I think, is expected to be named before Fauci goes in December, um, and then NIH will look for his replacement. Who do you think that would be? <laughs> Michael Spector, if you have any I, sense. <laughs> If I had any sense, I wouldn't take the I mean, it's going to be hard to replace him. Uh, there's one other thing besides replacing him that I think is a problem, which is I hope young people are going to go into public health in service the way Dr. Walker did, the way Fauci, the way tons of people I know did. It's not, if you look at what's happening to Fauci right now and you're a smart young person getting a PhD or an MD, it's kind of hard to argue, gee, I, too, want to be hauled before congressional committees for doing the best job I possibly can. And I hope that isn't something that is, you know, sort of internalized by medical students. Well, Jessica writes, I commend Dr. Fauci. In my opinion, many perceived mistakes by the CDC and Dr. Fauci are really about the science illiteracy in this country. Dr. Walker, we just have 30 seconds. Do you have a final thought? Well, just a final thought about replacing Tony, which is that, you know, it's going to be hard to find someone with his uh, scientific credibility and brilliance, with his communication skills, and with his history that he brings, as Michael said, his, having lived through AIDS activism and learned from it. That turned out to be really useful uh, training for him for, for this, obviously, was, was not enough. But uh, yeah, those are very, very big shoes to fill. Yeah, and his ability to admit mistakes. Well, Dr. Walter, thank you. You're welcome. It's great to be here. And Michael Spector, thank you as well. Happy to be here. My thanks to our listeners and to my producer, Susie Britton, who produced today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.